The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. So, this morning, I would like to continue the discussion we had last week. Last week, I talked about mindfulness and, and what am I not seeing, the not seeing, with a focus on how do we, how do we see what we're not seeing. And um, today, what I would like to do is cover the section more about stillness, because I think it's particularly difficult to talk about. And I think it's something we're actually all familiar with, but maybe don't know that, don't see that. I think it's one of the things that we don't see. So, uh, so that's my intention. And one of, the, one of the points I made that was that in order to see what we're not seeing, we have to stop. We have to not be running along on, on this, the track of reactivity. We have to not just, oh, this is what happens now. We have to not be so attached to what we think something looks like that we can't just stop and say, what am I missing here? What am I not seeing? The practice of mindfulness is especially about this. It's especially about stopping and seeing what we're not seeing. So part of what we're trying to do is free ourselves from the habit of reactivity. You know, something happens right away, we're on it. <laughs> a thought arises, we have an opinion about it. Uh, a, a twitch arises, this is what happens. So this morning when I sat down here, I had not stretched before I sat down, which is always kind of a mistake, having a <clears throat> somewhat aging body, and I got a Charlie horse in my foot. Now you know what a Charlie horse in your feel, foot feels like, and I, right away my mind is, i got to get up and walk. That's the only way, this is the approved way of taking care of a Charlie horse in your foot. And I reach down and I sort of move my toe and I'm thinking, well, gee, if I jump up, what are people going to think? I decided to just let the Charlie horse be there. And then, oh, but, 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 <laughs> but it hurts. And then at some point I noticed it wasn't there anymore. Now, I was probably just lucky But the truth is, what I was able to pay a lot of attention to was how much my mind wanted to do something about it. Need to do something about it. This is what our minds do. Got to do something about this. I like it. I don't like it. I want it. I don't want it. Something arises. I got to do something about this. Except for those moments when nothing is happening. But even when nothing is happening, we want to do something about it. So one of the things we want to do is free ourselves of the habit of habitual response. 
give ourselves a chance to see what else might arise if we're not just doing what has to happen, what we think has to happen. One of the things I mentioned was when my thoughts scream, this isn't right, I know I am in the throes of some expectation or something about this is how it's supposed to be. Sometimes I can do something about that, and sometimes I can't. So I have the choice of continuing my internal rant. Maybe it's about, oh, I should have stretched before I sat down. I could continue that rant. Or I can allow for what is true to be true and say, oh, so this is what's happening. (laughs) Take a moment to stop that stopping and say, this is what's happening. There was a question at the end of the talk. Somebody said, well, yeah, but how do I do that? And it's these how-to questions that are really hard when we're talking about stillness. So today I want to explore it more closely, but I'm actually going to start out by reading something that I just read yesterday that Gil wrote in the IRC newsletter. There was a question... Let's see. Could you address the tension between accepting things as they are versus striving to improve ourselves or our surroundings? To address social change or justice, how do we balance those or work with those at the same time? Okay, so here's somebody who's saying, all right, you know, I'm right in the middle of this. There's injustice here. What do I do with that? Do I just work with it? Do I get rid of it? What do I do? So I thought Gil's response was particularly uh, inspiring. So I'm going to just read you the response, and then we're going to talk about it some. So I don't have a simple answer that can cover all the aspects of this question. However, I do think it's useful to do something like meditation, where we learn how to be non-reactive, to have the mind be peaceful without any agitation. This could be described as coming to the zero point between negative reactions on one side and positive reactions on the other. It is resting content for a brief time without being for or against anything. It is being mindful, easeful, and peaceful with what is. Conventionally, this may look like accepting what is. However, from the point of profound rest. Accepting what is, is a mental attitude or mental activity that we do. If we are doing acceptance, we're not yet at the zero point. While it may well be appropriate to accept what we can't change, in meditation, we're looking to discover something more profound than acceptance. This is to be present for what is with equanimity, without reaction. We don't have to accept something in order to be peaceful in relationship to it. Remaining non-reactive toward injustice does not mean we accept the injustice or that we turn off our analysis and evaluation of the situation. Hopefully it means when we respond to the injustice, we can do so with compassion 
and wisdom. Meditation is a safe place to experiment with meeting experience with equanimous awareness instead of reactivity. If we have anger, we neither accept it nor not accept it. We neither condone it nor condemn it. Instead, we stay present for the anger without getting entangled with it. Once we learn this zero point, then it can become a reference point for seeing more clearly when the mind reacts to things. Knowing the satisfaction of being non-reactive can highlight when we are reactive. Even in very subtle ways, because we can better see the impulses to act and speak. We learn to have more choice with what impulses and motivations to act on. We operate less from habit or sudden impulse. We can have greater ability to respond to circumstances wisely and compassionately. In this way, hopefully we can think more clearly, see more clearly, and become wiser about when we act and don't act. The Buddhist practice is not about resting forever in the zero place or in acceptance of things as they are. The practice is about learning to be in the world without greed, hatred, or delusion. I hope those who grow in the practice are motivated to improve our world. With inner freedom, we can do so without reactivity or agitation. So that's the end of of his response. I was truly inspired by this because this zero point that he talks about is that place of stopping. And it isn't something that we do so much as it is something we realize. It comes to us. We don't go to it. So as we've entered this time of political conventions and face daily shootings and violence, as we navigate the frustrations in our own personal lives, this ability to achieve the zero point to, to see the zero point between acting and not acting in one way or another, to be free of the reactivity of the rising energy of something has to be done, to see the rising energy and go, oh, it's kind of a moment of, oh, I think can be incredibly valuable. And I think that what meditation allows us to do is practice seeing that, practice experiencing that, practice sensing that. So how do we find that point of momentary rest? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What, What I experience is not what you're going to experience. So if I talk about what I experience as an illustration, Please keep in mind, it's just an illustration. It isn't the right way or the thing. So when I talked about my foot this morning and having a cramp in my foot, I didn't tell you, oh, there was this moment when I could see that it stopped. No, I missed that moment. Because it had ceased being something where I put my attention. But I did notice the place where I stopped paying attention to it. 
there was, there was a moment when here were the thoughts about the foot, and then I went back to my breath. It was a deliberate refocusing of my attention in a different place. Well, let's just see what happens if I just look somewhere else. And that was what I was describing that the person was having trouble with last week when I was saying, I was recounting that I had experience of sorrow and I felt very small. And then when I shifted my focus and tried to feel what was the space alike around me, it felt very spacious and large and that feeling small had gone away. It wasn't that the sorrow went away. It was that I had shifted my focus to something else. And her question was, how do I know what the space feels like? So what I'd like to do is, um, is to see if this morning that we can just sit here and, and discover that so that you can actually experience that and know what I'm talking about. Not necessarily the space thing. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But let's just try. This is just the basic meditation instruction. You take a relaxed but alert posture, right? So let's try it. Close your eyes and breathe. Now what I would like you to do is just breathe. Notice, notice the in-breath. Wherever it is you notice, whatever you notice, notice the in-breath, notice the out-breath. Notice the moment when the in-breath becomes the out-breath. Can you sense that moment? It is a moment when nothing is happening. The breath is neither moving in nor moving out. Can you be with that moment when that happens? your eyes. Did you, can you notice that moment? Does that seem foreign to you? Could you, yeah, you notice it, right? You can feel it. This is a zero point. It's a physical zero point. Part of the problem with the way we talk about mindfulness is that we talk about seeing things. And seeing, in an absolute sense, has something to do with the visual sense, right? But when we're talking about it, we are being metaphorical, we're talking about seeing as a metaphor for something. Maybe it's psychological, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual, but we're speaking about it in a way that says it's like this. It's like this. And we say seeing. Do we mean insight? <laughs> Do we mean the physical seeing? 
Do we mean the physical reaction in the body? Well, we kind of mean all these things. The only way that it can make sense is if you practice noticing. Practice noticing. It isn't like we go through life stopping all the time. (laughs) It's sort of heretical. I mean, how do you stop? Meditation practice helps you notice moments to be present in this moment, just this, just here. That zero point is just this, just here. Just a moment. It's a moment when we allow what is true to be true. We don't accept something. We don't, it's not an action on our part. It's more like an arrival. When we notice the in-breath and the out-breath and the moment when it changes from one into the other, it really is just a moment. It's a place of existence where something just turns into something else. We're, on the, we're always, every moment, on the brink of the next moment. Now, it would drive us all crazy if we lived there all the time, constantly on the brink. <laughs> I can imagine my body beginning to just quiver. But in fact, it's also true that what I can really notice is my ability to be still. So I'm going to give you another example. Sometimes when I'm sitting and I'm experiencing physical discomfort, the thought arises, when is the bell going to ring? And I'm thinking, gee, if I just knew, this is a favorite, so this is secret, no longer a secret, favorite thing that goes through my mind is, how much time do I have left? Maybe I can make it. But it's really important to know how much time do I have left. Because if it's 10 minutes, well, maybe I need to move. But it's, if it's only five minutes, I can make it, right? And I watch my brain do this thing. And then, you know, it's pretty old stuff. So sometimes I can let go of it, right? <laughs> Just, okay, enough of that, right? So here I am. The body is ready for when the bell rings. And just at that moment, if, if I've been able to just stay and go back to my breath, when the bell rings what I notice is a reluctance to move. I've been waiting for the bell to ring. But there is a moment of realizing the stillness of not moving that is precious. There's a contentment in that not moving, even though there is a physical desire to move because it's painful. But when I notice the reluctance to move, well, I get a little chuckle, right? Ha! And you thought you had to move. (laughs) Lots of other thoughts come up. But there is that moment of pleasure of realizing how sweet it is to be still. What I'm encouraging you to do is notice when you are still. 
Notice when you have come to a stop. Because that's what allows you to be able to stop and say, what is happening here when you're really very agitated? Because you develop a habit of noticing stillness. You, have, you develop a habit of noticing your ability to be at that inflection point between the in-breath and the out-breath. It doesn't seem so foreign to you. It becomes part of what it is to just be here. Just this, just now. It doesn't free you from being tied up in some emotion or in some other form of agitation. It frees you to momentarily consider whether you need to react or whether your response can be more wise, more compassionate. It becomes very important to actually become familiar with what your body does, how it responds, to pay close attention to that. So yesterday I was in um, an altercation with someone on the telephone uh, having to do with, uh, oh, you know, something wasn't delivered and they weren't giving me my money back, okay? So... I realized before I went into this discussion that my skin felt sensitive. There's a kind of, when, when anger grows up, there's an energy that happens. And when it's a, a certain kind of energy, what I experience in my body is a kind of fuzzy sensitivity on my skin. And I thought, okay, notice this. You're agitated. This agitation was manifested in in the uh, buzziness on my skin. So in the conversation, when I heard the same story over again that I've been hearing for a month, that energy rose up and I I remembered, "This this is how you came to this conversation? Be careful, be careful. That's all. It didn't change that I was agitated, But it did allow the thought of, be careful. The person you're talking to isn't the cause. The person you're talking to is not the person who is doing something to you. The anger that is arising is a frustration. It has nothing to do with this person. Being able to notice the rising energy, to notice this is what's happening, to say, just this, just now, allowed the thought to arise, it isn't this person. It allowed me to not yell and scream at this person. To not vent this in this way. The point I'm trying to make is that it is not about accepting, well, I can't do anything about this, It isn't about pretending I'm not angry or pushing away anger. It is about being free of the automatic response and reactivity. And it goes back, it happens over and over again in the same three minutes. (gasps) The ability to just say, just here, just now, 
just here, just now, becomes uh, a, a kind of mantra that helps you be present for what is actually happening. And it is a moment of stopping and it is a moment of stillness in the midst of agitation. And it's subtle (laughs) because there's a lot of energy when you've got it built up, right? A lot of energy. So uh, you know what this is like. So, So let's go back to the issue of space. So when somebody gets in your face, you know what this feels like, right? This person is in my space. They are violating my space. They're invading my space. You know, if I, if I got up really close to you, you would say, whoa. This is sensing space, the amount of space that is around you, the energy space that is around you. If I start shouting at you, you know, the natural experience is to just, you know, your shoulders go back and you sort of, Recoil. This is actually a sensitivity to space, but it isn't what comes to the consciousness right away. You know, I don't... What comes to the consciousness is, this is not right, there's something wrong with this person, or it's not my fault, or whatever the reactivity is. But being conscious of the energy of that space can be very useful for you to be able to say, oh, this is what's happening. I'm feeling violated, regardless of what this person is trying to say to you. I'm feeling violated. I'm feeling vulnerable. Know what that feeling feels like. Become familiar with it so that you don't misinterpret what's actually happening. Does this make sense? We develop that capacity by noticing what's happening when we're in meditation. It is a cultivating an awareness. What am I actually aware of? We may notice, so so one of the questions that arises is, well, so what do I do after I notice it? (laughs) Well, what were you doing before? Not everything needs to be responded to. One of the things we have is the option not to respond. One of the options that we can see is, okay, I see this reactivity. What was happening before then? What am I doing? We become so conditioned to fix, respond, alter, becomes very useful to notice this conditioning of the mind. Something happens, I have to do something about it. I have to like it or not like it. Really. Think about how often in your life you are neutral. A useful experiment is try to find neutrality. Spend a day trying to find anything that you're neutral about can be astounding. What am I neutral about? Notice your reactions. Notice your responses. Because when you're familiar with them, they become tools for understanding, oh, this is what's happening. 
oh, this is what's happening. What's happening in your body? I'm rattled. How do you know you're rattled? Maybe I'm rattled. I mean, this, this sensitive skin thing is, is pretty interesting to me when it happens. Go, oh. And what I've discovered is I don't always know why. I just know there's some kind of heightened awareness. There's some sense of vulnerability, usually. Oh, that's interesting. Here I'm in the midst of anger, and what's really happening is vulnerability. Oh, that's interesting. The reaction to that, the response to that is quite different. Vulnerability is different than response to attack, actually. What makes me feel vulnerable? When do I feel, oh. One of the things I mentioned last week was the tendency for the mind to decide something uh, when, when we're under attack, when we're feeling sorrowful, the mind will say, mm, I, need to be, uh, I need to be kind to myself. But the difference between self-kindness and self-indulgence or self-kindness and self-criticism is very small. Self-kindness is different than self-indulgence. And the opposite of self-kindness may or may not be self-criticism. If we find ourselves in a position, it's like we have to establish fault. (laughs) If it's your fault, I can indulge myself. If it's my fault, then I'm in self-criticism. Notice these mental tendencies because they don't have to be true. They can be mind habits. Mind habits. Pay attention to the small in the presence of the large. Here's the big thing that's happening. Notice something else. Oh, notice how your mind reacts to it. Don't ignore the large. Just See what else is there. This kind of understanding gives you the ability to stop between deciding things about something. Only when we stop can we give our hearts and minds the chance to see other options. This, this stopping, <coughs> excuse me, this stopping is, is um, sometimes just a matter of noticing the stillness that we actually have just not been familiar with. It's not something we attain. It's not a place we go to. It's something that's already there. It's something that we notice. You know, 
one of the uh, one of the real great virtues of going on retreat is that you have an opportunity to study stillness. Um, I'm not going to say that all my retreats have been still. I remember a retreat where uh, that was my uh, aversion retreat. <laughs> and for a month, I sat with aversion to absolutely everything. I had more things I didn't like than there were things to see. So it isn't that agitation is gone. But what often happens on a retreat is that you do become increasingly still. And you become so still you're not even aware of this stillness. This is one of the great beautiful things about retreats that I wish everyone could experience. Because it makes you familiar with something that is always there, but you just don't have a chance to see. But you can see it when you sit in meditation in small ways. And the more you see it, the more it is present for you. The more you catch it, the more available it is to you. This has been my experience. This does not make me someone who never reacts to anything. This does not make me someone who is always kind. It just makes me someone who is more likely to be kind, who can look at her intentions when she's in the middle of a reactive place. Does this fit my intention? So in that conversation with this person on the phone, when I said, let me speak to your manager, (laughs) while I was on hold, I had my head down on the desk going, uh, 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 what is my intention? What is my intention? What is my intention? Because I could feel all of that energy. And it wasn't coming from where I wanted to come. And it was there, and I did not try to push it away. I simply tried to come up with, what is it that is my intention? And remind myself, and remind myself. So we cultivate stillness. We can't go there, we can't create it. An important part of cultivating it is noticing it. Just notice. Just notice it. Notice when you sit down to meditate, the releasing into the posture. Ah, notice that moment. It may be incredibly fleeting. (laughs) Just notice it. For me, it's one of the most delightful things about sitting is just that moment when I release myself into the posture. It's a saying, just here, just now. You know, a lot of people meditate with the idea that they're going to get relaxed or they're going to get to the still place. But really, the relaxation happens 
just at the moment you let go to this moment, just here, just now. And then the next moment happens, and the meditation proceeds. Don't fail to notice the beauty of settling in, even in the midst of agitation. Learn that nothing is, a hap- uh, nothing is happening is a habit of mind and that we don't often notice the stillness of nothing is happening because what happens in the moment of nothing is happening is we want to fill it up. We either register boredom or I have to move or I'm agitated. Notice whether you are willing to be still. <laughs> really, are you willing? Are you willing to notice stillness? Stillness can be quite frightening. You know, if I stop, something terrible might happen. Uncertainty, indetermination. You know, there's a a fear uh, around inertia. If I stop, I won't be able to start again. If I stop, I'll notice how exhausted I am. Or other stories. <laughs> There's a, an exaggerated belief in, in inertia, you know. We kind of, we, it's a story we tell ourselves. Well, I'm going, I'm going to keep going, and it's important to keep going. It's a story. For some of us, it's, an idle mind is the devil's workshop, you know. There's a sense of responsibility, and I must be, and I must do, and I have to be better, and my spiritual practice is about being better. And so I, I, all of these imperatives that we have, notice the imperatives. They're neither good nor bad. Just notice them. Notice them as barriers to stillness. I don't want to lose my energy. I've got good energy going. If I, if I stop, I'm going, to, yeah, I'm going to destroy my energy. I don't know. Some, some idea what, like that. I think I mentioned last week that, that Gil has a translation of the uh, Pali word for samadhi, which is um, composure as opposed to uh, concentration. This finding a moment of stillness is like composure. It's bringing things in. It's arriving at something. It's it's not going, it's arriving. The mind is not wandering in stories. It's just here. It's based on this moment. Thoughts arise and move on. Do you catch those moments between thoughts? when this story changes to that story in your mind? A moment of nothing's happening? (laughs) And then there's a reaction to nothing's happening? Maybe it's, oh, I finally figured out how to not be present for my thoughts. (laughs) Notice what happens. Notice that you live in a life of constant stimulation. Or not. 
I told you that I just recently moved here from out in rural West Marin. And I have to tell you, the difference in the noise level is just huge. <laughs> huge noise. And, and how that noise affects me. I can feel the vibration of the noise. My husband recently had eye surgery, and he said, you know, never have I noticed when you walk in a room without seeing you. But he said, now I'm noticing when you walk in the room, it's like there's this air movement. (laughs) Yeah, right? Because one stimulus is gone, he's able to see another stimulus, to experience another stimulus. We are all like this. Notice the effect of words, noise, colors. You know, in, the, in this room, things are pretty calm. This morning when I got up, I pulled out this bright pink shirt, and I started to put it on, and I thought, no, 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 I can't do that. That's too noisy a color for sitting in the meditation room. It's a noisy color, bright pink, fuchsia kind of thing. Notice noise in colors. Notice what it feels like to touch and be touched. What happens? What physically happens to you? Are you repelled? Are you energized? Do you feel vulnerable? What is the physical experience besides the finger on the hand? What is the physical, what else is happening in your body? when you are touched or when you touch someone else? Is there a softening to you? Become very familiar with all of this. Become familiar with how you respond to stimuli. That's what allows you to come to what Gil calls the zero point where you can say, this is how it is, and not be saying, this is good or bad, I want or don't want. Because you're just noticing. It becomes a habit of noticing. Notice when wanting is just wanting something to be different. Like the moment when nothing is happening is a really good time to notice wanting. And sometimes it's to know what wanting feels like for you can be very useful. This is not only happening on the cushion. It's happening when you're at a stoplight, when you're watching a bird scratch in the grass in the morning, when you're looking at the night sky. Notice any moment of this is how it is. This is this just here, just now. That just here, just now feeling. Notice that. It is so easy to miss. Practice contentment. The contentment, not acceptance and apathy, but contentment of being aware of what's true. It is a contentness, a contentness. It's, a, it's not a finding, it's an allowing. 
a recognizing. It is already here. We are already here. You have this ability of stillness within you. It just needs to be noticed and celebrated. So I'm going to close with a poem by Marie Howe. It's a a little obscure, like the whole idea of stillness. And it's called, Even If I Don't See It Again. Even if I don't see it again, nor ever feel it, I know it is, and that if once it hailed me, it ever does. And so it is myself I want to turn in that direction, not as towards a place, but it was a tilting within myself as one turns a mirror to flash the light to where it isn't. I was blinded like that and swam in what shone at me, only able to endure it by being no one And so specifically myself, I thought I'd die from being loved like that. Even if I don't see it again or ever feel it, I know it is, and that if once it hailed me, it ever does. And so it is myself I want to turn in that direction, not as towards a place, but it was a tilting within myself as one turns a mirror to flash the light to where it isn't, I was blinded like that and swam in what shone at me, only able to endure it by being no one, and so specifically myself that I thought I'd die from being loved like that. May you find moments of stillness. May you experience the contentment of of stillness. And may you tilt yourself toward that so that you may rest there. Thank you. So, my friends, did that help? Did it make sense? What do you think about when you think about stillness? Do you believe you know stillness? Yes. He's going to bring you a mic. When I meditate, I could feel the stillness inside me as well as the stillness around me. Even though there's, you know, birds singing and cars passing, I kind of like, that's way in the background. I felt very still. Um... However, I'm, I'm having a problem between when you say notice when you're angry, but when, you're, when I'm angry, I can't step back into the stillness 
or notice the anger and not being angry. Okay, so when I'm angry, I'm entangled, I guess, with the anger. I cannot, uh, I don't know how to step back from it. Okay, so first of all, I think the way you described meditation was quite beautiful. And, and I believe you do know that feeling of stillness. Now, when you're agitated in a moment of anger, where is that stillness? I mean, you're agitated, right? You're aware of the agitation. So when you're angry, what do you notice? How do you know you're angry? Well, my, I feel like my heart is beating, you know, 100 miles an hour, and I'm probably sweating, and, you know, I feel agitated all over my body mm-hmm. and tensed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of these things that you've described the fast-beating heart and the sweatiness and the, the irritation and agitation, mm-hmm. you, know, you experience these as unpleasant, I suspect. Yes. Yeah. So, so you also notice, I hate this. <laughs> yeah. you know, not only am I angry, but I don't like the way this feels. Right? Yeah. So one of the things that... Um, that I have learned about anger is I really don't like how it feels. I really don't like how it feels. And the more entangled I am with that anger, the more I don't like how it feels. Because the more entangled I am, the more those physical symptoms are present. And I look at the fact that I am entangled in this anger And the entanglement arises out of the story that I'm telling myself, the mental activity about this is justified, this is not right, this should be different. All of the the mental things that I'm doing about that that are stoking the anger. Mm -hmm. I can't change the energy of that anger. That energy is there and it is pumping. And there is adrenaline that's driving it. Mm-hmm. But I can change the focus, the mental focus. I can stop telling myself. I can recognize I am justifying this anger. I am building this up. And I can stop that. And by not telling myself the story over and over again, this is, this is why, by not telling myself over and over again this story, the physical symptoms begin to recede because I am not building the anger anymore. That's why when I was angry yesterday on the telephone, mm-hmm. I kept reminding myself, it is not this person. Because in this moment, unless I'm telling myself all the past injustices, I can't sustain it. Mm-hmm. And I have learned that I don't need to sustain anger in order to fight the injustice. That that energy is actually a negative energy and not a positive energy. And continuing to tell myself that story is not useful. And I hate the physical feeling of being angry. The more you notice that, 
the more you notice not only the story, the physical symptoms, notice I don't like feeling this way, because all of those physical symptoms are not being caused by the stimulus for the anger. They're being caused by my thinking about them. I am causing myself that pain. I am causing myself that suffering. I can choose not to do that. Even in the midst of all this energy, maybe what I have to do is say, big time energy here, depending on the situation, you know, if it's somebody I'm talking to right in the room, I might say, I have to do this later. (laughs) Or... If they're not in the room, I can do something with that anger, with that energy of the anger, to separate the energy of the anger from the physical experience of the anger, from the mental building up the story of the anger, the ability to see them as separate, linked but separate, gives me the freedom not to be controlled by my own reactivity. The stillness that you are able to feel in meditation is priming you to be able to stop at that point of high agitation and say, this is agitation, this is present, anger is present, I am not angry, I don't have to be angry. Anger is present. And there is uh, that same feeling of spaciousness that you experience in meditation can be experienced in the midst of all that agitation by, by being conscious, aware of, I am not angry. Anger is present. <sighs> I don't like it. Just the, I don't like it, frees you from telling the story over and over and over. And then you start telling yourself the story again, and the process begins again. Oh, I'm telling myself the story. I want to tell myself the story. I don't like how it feels. I hope that helps. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. I've studied anger. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to continue on that train that you're you're talking about a minute. Um, It reminds me of the technique, the uh, RAIN technique Mm. of recognize, accept, investigate, and not... Not me. Not self or not identification. So all of those steps seem fine to me except the last one. And I am hearing that you're involved with that last step of not identification, but that's the part that's hard for me 
that you have that realization that the anger is there. But if you could talk a little bit more about how it is not self, that I think that would be helpful to me. Yeah, I think that's a really, really big thing. And uh, I would say that my present appreciation for it has arisen from practicing, reminding myself about it. So many years ago, I heard a Dharma talk by uh, Kamala Masters, and she was a student of uh, Manindra, and she took him on a train trip in India one time, and she Uh, had forgotten how the trains run in India because she'd been away for a while. And so everything was running late. And it was extremely hot and she hadn't brought any food and she felt terrible about this. And so she kept asking him, are you hot? He said, aren't you hot? And he said, heat is present, but I am not hot. And then she said, but aren't you hungry? And he said, hunger is present, but I'm not hungry. And aren't you tired? Well, Weariness is present, but I am not weary. And I thought, okay, that sounds great, but what does it mean? <laughs> How do you do that? What is that? What is that about? So I have kept that in the back of my mind for, you know, 15, 20 years. I don't know how long ago it was. And I began to see that the energy of anger is not particularly connected, it's not directly connected with who I am. In the midst of anger, there's a lot of energy and a lot of adrenaline and your body is raging. Unless I feed it, it goes away. It's temporary. It isn't who I am. One of the one of the guiding uh, I'm not sure quite what to call it right at the moment. One of the guiding teachings from the Dhammapada, the opening of the Dhammapada, uh, uh, says, "All experience is preceded by mind, made by mind." Let's see, all experience is preceded by mind. Made by mind. There are three three conditions. I'm just not coming up with it at the moment. Uh, all experience is led by mind. Made by mind. The important part is not that. So I'm going to stop trying to remember that, which is not coming to me right now. So all experience is, is made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows like the heels, like the cartwheels behind the heels of the ox. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. I can speak or act with a corrupted mind. I can speak or act with a peaceful mind. When I am in the midst of anger, I remind myself of my intention to be kind. And I am in the midst of Energy being driven by this anger. I don't have to own the anger. If I proceed to keep building the anger, 
then I own it. Then I'm saying, I'm angry, this is all about me. But if I am able to dissociate from that and say, anger is here, there's no doubt that anger is here. My intentions are not consistent with anger. My intentions are peaceful. I am not feeling peaceful. But that is just a feeling. That is not... It it doesn't determine that this is the way I am. Anger is present. I am not anger. So sometimes it helps to change the, uh, the, the sentence structure a little bit. So anger is present. I am not anger, as opposed to I am not angry. But every time we repeat that, I am angry, we're reinforcing our identification with that anger and not reinforcing identification with the intention of being kind, with the intention of being peaceful. And we can do that even we can continue to fight against injustice or deal with the frustrations of our lives, be conscious that this frustration is, po- is present. This frustration is present. But I am not this frustration. I am someone trying to deal with this frustration. That separation gives us space to form other responses. Does that help? So it's, it's a process of just remembering, I am not this. So I repeat Menindra's stuff over and over again. For me, it was a very valuable story. Anger is present. I am not angry. I am not anger. Heat is present. I am not hot. Not me. Heat's here. I'm not going to deny that. My response is my response. It isn't the cause. I am not the cause. I'm responsible for my response. Okay, thanks. That's a great question. Okay, time is up. Thank you all very much.